You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and today I have a very special guest, personal favorite, um, and my queen, the Cuts editor-at-large, Kathy Horn. So it's been over a month since we wrapped up Paris Fashion Week. And obviously, Kathy, we spent a lot of time together during um, Fashion Month. And so you also had a star turn this year, walking in Balenciaga show at Paris Fashion Week, uh, which is obviously not the typical day. And you wrote about that for the cut. Um, but in general, what what would you say the season was like for you? And now that we've had a little bit of time away, what did you take away from the season in general? Actually, I think about the whole year that we've had in fashion and um, some of the ideas that came across and kind of repeated. Um, I mean, we, we saw a lot of really great tailoring, a lot of um, some of it oversized. We started seeing that probably more than a year ago, but we saw a big emphasis on uh, what I would call the liberated body. Um, we had designers from, you know, Elena Velez in New York, Dimitra Petza in London, you know, I think of, of Raph Simmons' very last collection, which was a year ago. Um, Mark Jacobs in his collection um, was doing sort of some similar ideas. We're seeing a lot of nakedness. That has been an ongoing trend, and it's really fascinating to watch that. We've been seeing, um, again, like some of that, you know, like the vintage flavor of things that look you know, um, uh, a little bit worn or they've been taken from vintage, but they're not, they're not disguising that, which I still think is kind of interesting. I think that's where obviously where a lot of young, the heads of a lot of young people are, uh, what they like. Um, and then we had the, a sort of like a sub story going on really, maybe it's going to become an ongoing story for fashion is who's, who's replacing whom at various houses you know, we we had, uh, you know, new designers at Gucci, Sapato di Sarno, an okay uh, debut. Um, I thought there were many good things about it, some weak points. And we're going to have a new designer, Chloe, next year. So there's a lot of talk about that. And, of course, we had Phoebe Philo's return to fashion. So it, to me, it felt like when I think of September, there was a lot going on. Um, between the the changeover at Gucci and and of course Sarah Burton leaving McQueen, that was a very sad uh, you know moment because a lot of us have been have known Sarah for a long time even when uh, while Lee McQueen was alive um, and then you know I was in London the day after the Paris shows to see Phoebe's first collection. I mean I think people also don't realize how 
much you are viewing throughout the year, but then also each season, how much it is to kind of take in and analyze and understand. And so many conversations also happening behind the scenes. I think when we go to shows now and I look around, there's not as many reporters or writers. It's a lot more stylists. It's a lot more influencers. But it feels like, you know, the reporting and the work that people like you are doing is more important than ever, even though it's definitely shifted. Um, and so I'm curious of how you feel like that relationship has changed over time and and what you're looking to continue to do in this work um, as the industry progresses. I mean, it's really fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great topic in a way, and it's because I've I've watched the shift that's been going on, you know, maybe twenty years, but it really accelerated um, with social media. And um, you know, uh, when I first started covering fashion in nineteen eighty six in Milan, I went to Milan in Paris. I mean, there were so many editors from regional newspapers, regional American newspapers. I could give you 15. And that's the name of 15 plus all of the Vogue's and the Women's Wear Daily and the New York Times. And um, there were just a lot of reporters and it was really reporters. Uh, and they were reporting for their market. And, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a different scene, but that, that number has dwindled and dwindled. Um, so for me, it's, um, you know, I really appreciate, I mean, I, I don't want to make this sound like uh, pretentious or anything, but I appreciate having the the longevity now because a lot of the relationships that I have with people in the industry, I've, you know, built up over 20 years. And that, that includes CEOs uh, as well as um, designers. Uh, very often, I like talking to the CEOs, sometimes more than the designer at a house, um, because they they're very but I have to say, Lindsay, they're also really aware of these changes. Um, the 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 decline of long-term relationships and um that and and people with an institutional knowledge of the business. And that applies to the to the people who are on the, you know, on the on the commercial side of a house, the this the executives. Um it applies to the designers and the design team. So it creates a lot of disruption in a way, um, but it also creates, I think, for those of us who like the reporting aspect of fashion, uh, you know, I'd include people like Vanessa Friedman over at The Times and uh, Tim Blanks to an extent at Business of Fashion, yeah, Sarah Moore for sure at Vogue, is that you just, um, you know, you, you, you have more sources and more contacts, you have more understanding of, of the of the of the patterns and the movements in the industry, you get you really can see the big picture um, at a greater perspective. I think than if you're just um, relatively new to it, or you're only interested in your own little uh, turf. Let's say if you're an influencer or a stylist, you really, I mean, it's almost as if Lindsay, you've got these, you've got people. It's like a constituency in a in an election where you have one group is interested in this and someone else is interested in that. That's just kind of multiplied a little bit. So it creates gives more texture to the whole industry. But I kind of know where I want to stay and and you know look at things. So um, yeah, I think that's it's it is it is a very dramatic change. I would say in the last eight years, for sure. But I feel like you. I mean, obviously, um, 
I think that people always talk about fashion being this just progressive industry and we're always excited about the new thing. But I also think that we haven't valued longevity and the tenure of a lot of things. So it's nice to to hear that and to to see, I think, the transition of things over time, but still honoring certain traditions that we have. And I think a lot about also um, the fact that when we're able to actually go to Europe, there we're able to actually have a lot of conversations face to face with people like you were saying that you just wouldn't be able to have if you weren't actually developing relationships. Um, and I was wondering if there's any conversation from this past season that stuck with you or conversations that made you think a little bit differently about what was happening in fashion at large. You know, I've had some very good conversations this season, and I would go back to even July during the couture, because the couture shows do allow you, a, the, the pace is a tiny bit slower, so you get to have more time sometimes with a with designer. Um, and I, you know, spent a lot of time with Demna at Balenciaga, both in July. And then again, of course, because I was walking in the show, I was backstage a lot more than I would normally be uh, at rehearsals and uh, the whole makeup and hair test and everything. So I got to talk to Demna a lot. I mean, I find him really interesting because he's quite introspective about where the where the industry is going. I often have conversations with Raf Simmons at Prada, sometimes with Mutra Prada too, depends on, uh, you know, if we're in the backstage together. Um, you know, the conversation with Phoebe, I mean, Phoebe didn't want anything published yet because, I mean, she wanted to keep the attention on the clothes. That was enough to, you know, just introduce the clothes, but it was a real pleasure to see her and to get a sense of, you know, where she wants to, um, you know, take her this new venture. And and so I would say those those were pretty meaningful conversations. Uh, Sabato DeSarno and I had a wonderful um, a preview at Gucci that turned into like uh, almost an hour conversation about where he's going. And I, you know, he got he got whacked uh, in the by a lot of journalists. And um, and there were you know, there were definitely not everything was perfect in that collection, but it was, I really appreciated the fact that I could spend so much time with him and actually see things up close. And at least for a debut, which, you know, you, you always have to give designers a little bit of time, you know, three or four seasons to see where they're going. But again, it's like, I'm interested in those conversations because I want to hear what a designer is thinking. So, um, and I, Oh, I always take advantage of them. I always take advantage of the access because I do want to hear what what they're saying. And um, and I I can't tell you. I mean, I'm really I, I really appreciate it. I always have. When I was at the New York Times, wherever I've worked, I've always enjoyed having that that contact with the creative people. One of obviously your you know most noteworthy conversations, as you were saying, was with Phoebe Philo. And there was obviously so much hype around her coming back. So many of us wondering what was going to happen, why we hadn't seen images, um, wanting to see what she had to say, and um, obviously loved what you wrote about for the cut on 
um, her coming back in this release and and the clothing and your thoughts around it. Can you give people an insight of why you feel like there there was such hype around this? Because I do feel like it it caught attention to people, obviously inside of fashion, but also outside of fashion. So many people were excited about this and were really into the headlines around her, even if they didn't really have a historical knowledge of her. Phoebe obviously established a little bit of a reputation at Celine when she was there and then before that at Chloe, I think, you know, but still, you and I always know that the world is so big and that people follow brands, but not necessarily designers. They know, I'm not sure if you ask, you know, even well-informed consumers, like, who's the designer at Dior? I don't know how many people really know that or Saint Laurent today. You know, we're... There's a there was a generation, um, you know, going back maybe two generations that grew up with all those founders, um, like Yves Saint Laurent himself. They knew about them, um, Sonia Riquel, Simiaki. Um, but we don't live in that kind of world anymore. Everything is global and everything moves very quickly. So I think that people were kind of Phoebe was doing something unique, and that's why when I wrote the piece, I put that in the lead that she was the first designer in a long time actually putting her name on a on a label, a big major designer. So I think that was kind of crucial. And then you sort of ask why? What does that mean? And that she's taking that risk. Um, so I think that was sort of interesting. And then I think there was a lot of hype around her, and people were thinking, well, is 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 this you know the the, the covertness and the secret, call it secrecy or just, you know, being very cautious. I think that, you know, Phoebe is in control of her brand. I think she she's very aware of what goes on in the, in the internet world of how quickly things will spread. And also, of course, once images are out there and it's public, then other companies can start copying her work, which is inevitable. Um I think that it really did represent somebody wanting to create her own paradigm, her own way of doing business after she's got a lot of experience. She's 50 years old. She's been in the business since she graduated from college. And um, so she knows what she's doing. I think people were excited about the clothes because it was, you know, we don't have a lot of women designers at the moment. And Phoebe was very representative of what a woman designer can do in terms of um, clothes that relate to a woman's life. Um, she did that at Celine a lot. People talked about it a lot. But I think the big difference is when I look at Phoebe Philo's collection, she's whittled it down to something really essential. She's not giving you everything. And that's a problem today on, on a lot of runways. You just feel like you see a lot of product, uh, a lot of merchandise. And Phoebe gave you a very concise look at what she thought was interesting how it defined her brand. Obviously, tailoring, masculine tailoring has always been big for Phoebe, but she had that. But she also had those great trousers that sold out really quickly and like several different styles. She had the leather jackets. She had these key pieces that you're like, you know, you could covet, you could say, wow, that's a look. And also, let's face it, it was a really directional collection. And I think people are craving this feeling of like, give me a strong point of view. Uh, and I think that's really what, I think that's really what got many people excited about it, was seeing somebody with a, a strong point of view. 
my last episode was actually with Mara Hoffman, um, who just won the Environmental Sustainability CFDA Award. And I, I feel like every season, you know, they're they're all of the the buzz topics. Everyone always talks about how we need to be doing better in certain areas. And obviously, sustainability is continuously one that we need to do better in. But there seems to be, you know, 100 million ways to go about that and not enough resources to the brands that really want to do it well. Why do you think that that still is in the air of something that people want to do, but haven't really necessarily committed to outside of obviously, you know, Mara and Stella McCartney? And what do you feel like that actually would mean in practice for a lot of brands to commit to? It's such a complicated issue. And it is, um, I mean, it's strange because there are, there are examples across the industry, both at the at the at the um, material level, of companies in Italy, for instance, doing uh, um, you know uh, cotton. It's in Europe and in Turkey, for instance. You know, having a, a cotton that's grown responsibly. Um, that and, and Stella McCartney had a very good exhibition, as you remember, at her show with with different booths from her suppliers or, and other suppliers who are doing different things with whether it's mushroom leather or um, this kind of cotton. And there are plenty of companies using those products um, at the high level of fashion. And there are people who are doing upcycling and who are. Um, you know, many of the companies are doing some, some aspect of that. So, so in that sense, it's a plus. But I think on the other side of it is there's just so much production. And I think that is, is and I'm not an expert on sustainability, but I, but I look at the production of so many brands and I'm like, why do you need to produce so much? And, and that is, if, that, if, if you, you, know, you talk to people about the impact of, on the climate on the, on the, I mean, on the earth and, and climate change and resources, you know, overproduction is a huge problem across many industries. We just have too much. And I, I think that I would love to see more designer, you know, why we have runway shows with 80 looks in them. Um, and then they have the whole back room with um, preseason collections and commercial collections. And there's an excess of that. And again, I think going back to Phoebe Philo's collection, I think that was one of the, the, you know, the hallmarks of that show, of that presentation, or it's not a presentation, but her her debut was she had one really fabulous evening dress. I've mentioned it a couple of times, and, and I highlighted in my piece that ivory dress that could be a top, it could be a dress, depending on how you would use it. But she didn't show you more than the one. And it's like, okay, I get, and she, she also addressed how to, how to, how to, you know, what fashion might look like when you're going out instead of all the party clothes that no one really wants to wear anymore. Um, so she proposed a modern solution and she also said, we're not going to overproduce. So, and she said that to people online, you know, that was one of the things, you know, be prepared for, for things to be sold out because we're not going to overproduce. So I think it's like, I think I think that people are. I mean, compared ten years ago, I mean, where Stella was often the only one even talking about, you know, um, new materials and uh, uh, you know responsible materials. We have a lot more people talking about it now, and I think also more people concerned about production. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! 
It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Something um, that you wrote about that I wanted to hear more of your thoughts on um, was when you have mentioned that you feel like there's a loss of freedom among designers, whether it's like a freedom what they're able to create or what they're able to do. Um, and I was curious of what you meant by that and if you could say more on that and give, give us some examples. You know, if you think about photography, because we all love, you know, most People who love the fashion world love fashion magazines and they like advertising too. I remember we used to, you know, open a magazine in September and turn those pages and look and see what Tom Ford was doing at Gucci with his ads or Prada, Versace, whoever it might be. And I I feel like there is a curtailing of that kind of, you know, surprise that you, well, that that's the result. The the consequence is that you don't really feel like you're seeing a surprise with with that kind of imagery as much as we used to. And I think on the runways, in terms of making clothes, I hear this all the time from designers, particularly at larger brands, where I mean, you know, I think many of the creative directors who are good, and I, you know, whether it's a Demna or Jonathan Anderson at Loewe, uh, certainly. Wrath and Mucha, I mean, that's, that's, that's their, you know, they're in charge, is that um, they have tremendous creative freedom. I think that they're, they, they thrive on that. They live off that. Um, and they produce great results um, on the runway. But then you hear other stories of people who just say, well, you know, I, it's the merchandisers. I have to answer to, you know, they, they tell, you know, they come in and they want to, um, uh, you know what sold last year? Give us more of that. It's like it's you know I've, it's it seems like it's almost a constant battle. And I you know when I was talking to when I did that piece in September for the magazine about where all the creative talent you know where is it and where is the risk taking talent? Um, we we sort of took a larger view of the industry in that piece, but you know um, I, I, you know one of the uh, the top guys at LVMH, Sidney Toledano said, you know, he, he used to, I knew him since he was at Dior back in the late nineties. He said, I can't tell you how many, you know, it's the marketing guys have taken over. I mean, I thought this is a senior executive at LVMH saying the marketing guys have taken over. And, um, so yeah, that is, that, these companies have become machines and we all know that when things become bigger and bigger and more complicated, you know, it isn't about the one designer. It's not about Cristobal Balenciaga in his, at, you know, in his studio doing what he wants. That Those days have been long, long gone. But I feel like even in the last decade, there's just been um, a little bit of a curtailing of freedom and I think with for for any creative person, whether you're an artist or whether you're a fashion designer or a photographer, I think that's what you 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 want to keep as much of that as possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you see it. I, I mean, I think you see it in the in the in you know what we see on the runways where things start to look very repetitive and a little bit predictable, and 
almost as if it's like a color by numbers, you know, where it's like a formula that they all, that they, not all, but many will fit into. Like, you know, I think one of the terrible, boring, uh, what do you, it's almost like a crutch or of, it, it's a, it's an excuse really is, you know, this notion of quiet luxury, uh, which is, you know, that things, things are really relatively simple and basic, but incredibly expensive. And um, it goes without saying they're well-made, but there's not a lot of, you know, it, it, again, it feels like things have become industrialized a little too much. Yeah. I mean, I am curious um, as next year is an election year, and I, I always think that that plays into a lot of changes with designers or how people start to talk about spending or consumption, um, any early predictions, feelings on that? We've, I feel like we've, we used to have so many exciting moments with elections. And, you know, I remember just the, the, the thrill of like seeing who was dressing Michelle Obama. We haven't had a lot of those moments of recent, but any early predictions or feelings around that? You know, uh, a friend of mine who's an, who's an economics professor said this to me about a year ago. We were talking about the economy and I said, you know, when is it, when is it really going to, are we going to go back to something that feels a little more, uh, I don't know, normal for lack of a better word. I mean, we've been, the, the, the whole, much of the world has been really hard hit by inflation, some parts worse than others. Um and he said, you know, the pandemic was a major catastrophe. It was a major event. And, and, the, and the time it takes to recover from that is longer than people realize. And I think that helped me understand the sort of slow period. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really think about the election so much as I, I pay attention more to the economy. I mean, whether it is the, the economy as it's expressed by by Wall Street and the stock market and where those where that information is going, or if it's what's going on in Europe, we have two major wars going on. I mean, these are all things that, um, you know, combined will have, a, you know, a big impact. It's, you know, I think a lot of people would just like to see the, in the United States anyway, I'm, I'm no economist, but I would like to see the economy um, you know, uh, not be so volatile. Um, and also the whole inflation situation, you know, finally get behind us. Um, so I think that has such a, a downdraft feeling on things. So I don't know that, Lindsay, I don't know that how much in, in elections have an effect anymore um, on on fashion, I really don't think they do as much. Um, and I think that's been true for a while. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know. And I think also, I'm just throwing this out. Um, I mean, one of, I think that it's like everybody has so many serious concerns, you know, related to abortion, for instance. Um, like, where is that going? The Ohio vote was very interesting. Um, but they have concerns in many areas. And so I think everybody has their, their, um, their, their, their personal concern um, and interest of what they'll get out of, you know, changes in the economy over the next 18 months to two years. So I'd like to see resolved. Yeah. 
I think one thing, I think one thing, Lindsay, that I was just thinking about too, it just made me something, something you said is that, you know, I think one of the things that's just most fascinating also in fashion is that we have a generation coming up and, you know, they, there are people who are very concerned, obviously, about the state of uh, the planet and consumption. And this past year was the hottest year in record. Um, we have that. Then there's a generation of young people and obviously older people, too. But that that is their cause and their activists on that front. Um, we also have groups of people, um, feminists who are new age feminists, I would call them, who really want to see women represented in a different way. And they want, you know, whether it's in fashion or in other ways. And we have people who are, you know, we've we've talked about the runway being more pluralistic and having um, not being, you know, for so many years and until fairly recently, fashion felt very exclusionary. So, uh, whether it was body type or race or let's call them people with a with a different sort of look about them, character, you might say, a personality. Uh, and I think there's obviously, I'm not saying anything that we don't already know, but I find it really interesting that that is like maybe next wave. Um, it will just continue to get stronger in, in fashion and in other ways too. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I mean, it's for a lot of reasons, but I do think that um, it's a, it's a interesting mix because there's a lot more voices of, I think, in the choir of what people want to see change and what people are wanting to see done differently, whether it be, you know, different people, different names, different kinds of people, different genders, races, sexes, et cetera, um, sizes, sexualities, all of that. But at the same time, um, I think I'm most interested in people that have something to say and substance in that. And so um, not just shouting out in the void, but actually how would we move things forward? Um, and so it's interesting to see how that has like developed and progressed. And I'm curious of if we'll see any of that next year. We've not really, I'm always looking, you know, when I look at fashion, I look at what's, um, how it fits in the big historical picture of fashion. And, you know, it's, it, how does it measure up against other great designers uh, of of the past that could be the past of the 1920s or it could be the past of, of the 1990s. Um, you know, and, and so I'm like putting people against that standard. I mean, and designers, I want to see like innovation in clothing and I'm always confident about fashion. I'm always optimistic because we've seen uh, you don't get great designers in huge numbers every decade. Lagerfeld used to say, you only need three designers a decade to keep it moving. And to an extent, that's kind of true. But, um, but I think we also, I, I think I'm, I'm waiting to see among the designers who, who feel very strongly, let's say, about these issues, whether it's gender or body type or sexuality, uh, again, we see people who represent their constituency in a way. I mean, someone like Elena Velez, who I find really interesting. I liked her mud show a lot. I liked, uh, this was in Brooklyn, as you know, this past fall. 
I liked her intensity. I like her ferociousness about that. Does it necessarily translate into the clothes? Maybe, maybe not. And at some point, even someone like Elena, as talented as she is, she has to make a commercial project out of it. So that's been the dichotomy between these very strong feelings and then making a commercial project out of it that is at the same time helps move the needle of fashion forward. Um, and, you know, in a strange way, I mean, we've seen really obscure designers come out of, most great designers come out of nowhere. They're outsiders. Coco Chanel was an outsider, in effect. Um, Martin Margiela was an outsider. Um, and he had very different views of how people should look and different views of luxury that at the, in the beginning were rejected. And which, as we know, became really influential. So, but one of the things that people like Martin had, um, and I think still matter, is a professional training. Is like he really understood how to make clothes, um, and he he was thoroughly immersed in that. So, and that still kind of matters. I mean, it, that kind of it definitely matters. Definitely does. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, pleasure. Always fun to chat. Instead <laughs> of being in the back of a car somewhere in Milan or Paris, <laughs> yeah. complaining about why we're stuck in traffic. Yes. That and wondering where we can find something really good to eat. Always. You have the best restaurant pick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for listening to In Her Shoes. Today's episode was produced and edited by Nishat Kerwa. Our engineers are Jelani Carter and Brandon McFarlane. I'm your host, Lindsay Peoples. In Her Shoes is a production of The Cut and New York Magazine. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.